Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens back with the good, the bad, and the TV on the Believe Podcast Network. It's the number one podcast network for professionals. Let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1986. A year that gets off to a pretty crappy start. 28 days in, the NASA Space Shuttle Challenger explodes midair. 73 seconds after launch. Onlookers having gathered in the early morning Florida cold to watch, including the parents of crew member Krista McAuliffe. She's the New Hampshire High School social studies teacher who was to be NASA's first civilian astronaut. McAuliffe and her six fellow crew members fall from the sky and perish for the world to see. She's just 37. The tragedy commands international media coverage, of course, the explosion, the hard-fied looks of the spectators, both there and back in New Hampshire, where the teacher's students are watching, live. The days of debris washing ashore, the weeks until the bodies are reclaimed from the sea, the, until this tragedy, unimaginable national sorrow. Later on the day of the explosion, Ronald Reagan makes an effort to assuage a country's shared grief in a speech given from the Oval Office. Written by Peggy Noonan, to be remembered and quoted for generations, the speech illustrates, even to those who don't support his presidency, how actor-turned-politician Ronald Reagan becomes known throughout his terms in office as the great communicator. Helped by a powerful line, Noonan lifts from the poem High Flight by John Gillespie McGee Jr., a Royal Canadian Air Force pilot circa World War II, on the joys of aviation. We will never forget them, Reagan says, nor the last time we saw them, this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. The year goes on. As it does, Glasnost and Perestroika become part of the international lexicon, courtesy of Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Here in America, Howard Beach and Iran-Contra become part of our own the former tied to New York racial tension, and the latter to a scandal that swallows up the remainder of Reagan's second term. Show of hands, who remembers Fawn Hall? U.S. intelligence analyst Jonathan Pollard pleads guilty to espionage in 1986 for selling secrets to Israel, and a year after USA for Africa's highly successful and well-regarded We Are the World musical fundraiser, a spinoff named Hands Across America unfolds for which is envisioned a single, unbroken human chain across the country, everyone holding hands. It raises $34 million, which becomes a much smaller, but still impressive $14 million after operating costs. But the unbroken human chain never happens. Virtually impossible to pull off, which everyone knew ahead of time. Still, 5 million people do join hands in dozens of cities coast to coast, at 3 p.m. Eastern, which is remarkable by latter-day COVID standards. 
that the Philadelphia portion of the line involves both Jerry Lewis and Scott Baio. Well, don't say my hometown never did anything for a cause. In 1986, Pixar Animation Studios, which starts off in 1979 as a division of Lucasfilm, is officially born as its own company. Its first release, Toy Story, still years away though. And in 1986, MTV, which is still playing actual music videos, is still the go-to for movie studios to promote their newest releases with music single tie-in videos. Included in rotation this year, Heavy Rotation, Danger Zone and Take My Breath Away for Top Gun, Live to Tell for At Close Range, The Glory of Love for Karate Kid 2, and Aretha's remake of Jumpin' Jack Flash and Paul McCartney's Spies Like Us for the films of those same names. Meanwhile, the best picture of 1986 does not have a music video tie-in. Can you name it? I'll wait here. Spoiler alert, though. It's Platoon. At least according to the Oscar people, anyway. We all know the true best picture of the year is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'd point out here that 1986 is also the year that I visit and am kicked off the set of epic flop in the making, Howard the Duck. But that would seem self-indulgent. So I'll get back to my thoughts. Founded in Adelaide, Australia in 1980, the mostly print-based company News Corporation is now one of the biggest media businesses in the world in 1986, a year that it grows still bigger with its acquisitions from the previous year of several key U.S. television stations made official. Which might seem boring until it's pointed out that these several key U.S. television stations become Fox TV. 1986, a time in media history when such a thing still matters, and matters quite a bit, is the year a fourth American TV network is launched to take on and to break the long stranglehold on American viewers held by ABC, CBS, and NBC. The idea of a fourth TV network is not necessarily a new one in the American television business. There have been four before. There's four during its 1950s infancy, for instance, the Dumont Network being the fourth. There's a brief attempt at a fourth the year after Dumont closes up shop in 1955 with what's called the NTA Film Network. And there's a short-lived de facto fourth in the 1970s when a consortium of TV stations is created to produce and air its own independent programming under a banner called Operation Prime Time, or OPT. But the newly announced Fox Broadcasting Company has more money behind it, more powerful stations to service it, a more formidable film studio connected to it. In 1985, News Corp also buys the 20th century buys into 20th Century Fox Studios. And most critically, a more seismically changing TV landscape to enable it, which paved the way for its ownership of these six major market TV stations one each in New York, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Houston, Chicago, Dallas. That, with other stations to be added into the mix, forms the literal foundation for Fox. The new venture is set to be unveiled in late 1986 with a soft opening, or what they call a soft opening, tied to its first piece of programming, 
a late-night talk show to take on Johnny Carson's long-running and still-reigning Tonight Show. But that soft opening becomes hard news when it's announced in the spring of 1986 that the host of the new show will be Joan Rivers, a longtime Carson friend and Tonight Show audience favorite. In fact, since 1983, she's been the show's permanent guest host, which is a first for the long-running series. Macy's has defected to Gimbel's. NBC cries foul and worse. Disloyalty accusations and insults are hurled. A betrayed Carson hangs up on Rivers when she calls to explain, never again to talk to his longtime ally. A mountain of gossipy headlines is built. So much so that by the time The Late Show starring Joan Rivers premieres on October 9th, 1986, huge awareness and huge expectations lead to huge tune-in and huge ratings. Score one for Fox. But... The headlines and the curiosity don't last. When the dust settles, it's clear that The Late Show is just another nightly chat fest and that Joan Rivers works better as a spice rather than a meal. Viewership trails off. The once heralded Rivers and her eagerly awaited show become slow-acting poisons for the brand new Fox network. Stations that sign up to air it defect. Big names get harder to book as guests. And by early May of 1987, a year after the big announcement of her hire, Rivers is gone. The Late Show is revamped with new hosts, but it joins her in the dustbin soon after. Fox's road to success begins potholed. The good news, though, the good news is that it leads to what Fox calls its real and hard debut as a primetime broadcasting network in April 1987, with its first lineup of actual scripted entertainment shows to air against NBC, CBS, and ABC, the superpowers. Good not because anybody watches the lineup of shows that's unveiled, they don't. And good not because at least Fox can show itself a competitive player on the field, it's not. It only broadcasts on two nights, Saturdays and Sundays. And most of what's seen on these two nights is forgettable. No, but what's good is because three of the new shows are promising and they'll stick around to become the programming that Fox is built on. The three, the half-hour variety series, The Tracy Ullman Show, and the half-hour comedy Married with Children, which plant flags as Fox being the supplier of genre upenders and template reworkers, and 21 Jump Street, a mindless cop drama that appeals to what will be Fox's target, uncatered to teen and young adult viewers. All three are renewed for the full 1987-88 TV season, the first in 32 years to feature four broadcast networks, and the one before which Fox gets to re-announce itself. It gets to host the annual highly rated Emmy Awards that are until then reserved for just airings on ABC or CBS or NBC, and it has a series from that short flight first season breaking through with a best-in-class nomination, The Tracy Ullman Show. Fox has arrived. Still, it plays out the season with just two nights of programming. It's not until the 1989-90 season that the Baby Steps transition into a full-on walk in three ways. It begins a third night of programming on Mondays. It launches Beverly Hills 90210, which becomes an 18 to 34-year-old viewer's haven. And it's blessed with the best kind of publicity a TV show can hope for. 
calls for a boycott. When a Michigan Mormon mom initiates a crusade against sitcom Married with Children, its network, and its advertisers over what she calls the show's anti-family material. The calls for boycott come to little, unlike the ratings in its wake. Bad move, Karen. As the 1989-1990 season moves along, Fox is settling in as the new and younger and hipper and cooler and envelope-pushing and rules-flouting anti-network. It comes into the season a solid competitor. It ends the season even more so, thanks to the mid-season launches of a pair of anarchic comedies, The Simpsons and In Living Color. And a 1991 summer season of original Beverly Hills 90210 episodes keeps the network's lights on as the other networks turn rerun dark, giving both the show and the network more attention. The following summer, it does it again with the launch of 90210 spinoff, Melrose Place. An Emmy-nominated movie of the week franchise, the launch of The X-Files, the hijacking of the NFL from the CBS network, and a full seven-night schedule as of 1994-1995 now means that Fox is more than just a teen scene. It's also the home of thoughtful and praised scripted drama and of big draw sports that put it in the big leagues, too. In addition, the Tracy Ullman show and In Living Color each win a Best Variety Series Emmy. The X-Files has broken through with multiple Best Drama nominations. And star Gillian Anderson becomes the first Fox star to win a Best Acting Emmy. Hesitant baby steps to full-on confident adult strides in 10 years. And it gets there in its sliest of ways, too, because technically Fox is not a network at all, airing as it does just 15 hours of programming each week instead of the network standard 22. It's a difference that allows it to bypass some traditional network rules when it comes to what it airs and how it earns its money. But good for them. Come the 2000s, American Idol officially makes Fox a runaway. The talent show becomes a ratings behemoth, among all audiences for the better part of the entire decade. It helps make Fox the highest rated network in the coveted 18 to 49 demographic from 2004 to 2012. And in 2008, it helps Fox reach its peak, becoming the most watched American television network, period. If Fox in the 2010s doesn't break out as much or make news as much or innovate as much as it once does, if it's just another broadcast network, it's because all the now five networks are trying to adapt both their programming and their business models to a rapidly changing TV world, one that's incomparable to the one it starts out as back in the 1940s. But the Fox backstory is one worth knowing and its road to success worth heeding in this brave new world. It represents perhaps the last great innovation in broadcast television, certainly one of the last great media business stories of the 20th century. From American Idol to America's Most Wanted, from 24 to 911, from Alien Nation to American Dad, from Melrose Place to House, from Party of Five to Prison Break, from Bernie Mac to George Carlin to Rock, from That 70s Show to Martin to Malcolm to New Girl, it creates a legacy worth knowing. A legacy 
that, all things being equal, just about makes up for Joe Millionaire and Mr. President. Totally Hidden Videos, The Chevy Chase Show, The Wilton North Report, Models, Inc. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.